You're listening to Jackpot, brought to you by Jack.org Queens. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Jackpod by Jack.org Queens. If you haven't had the chance already to check out our first episode, I'm just going to reintroduce myself. My name is Liv, and I am the co-president this year on Jack.org for the Events and Intersectionality Umbrella. And I'm super excited, pumped, a little nervous to be doing another episode because in this episode, oh my God, count how many times I've been saying episode. In this episode, I'm going to be interviewing one of my very dear friends and fellow mental health advocate, Jake Bradshaw, who happened to be um, the Jack.org co-president in my first year back four years ago. So it's kind of funny how it just comes full circle. And today, Jake is going to be telling us about his mental health advocacy journey story, starting off back in high school and kind of how it followed into his university career and now into his postgraduate career, and also taking a deeper look into the relationship between being a mental health advocate and also overcoming your own mental health struggles. Before we begin, I just wanted to give a content warning as conversations surrounding mental health can be very heavy. So please Remember and remind yourself to just listen to this episode with ease and to be sure to utilize the resources that can be found in every episode's description. As well, today we're recording this episode on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. We're grateful to be able to live, learn, and play on these lands. We encourage you to learn more about the lands you are currently situated on and acknowledge the significance for the Indigenous peoples who lived and continue to live upon it and whose practices and spiritualities were tied to the land and continue to develop in relation to the territory and its other inhabitants today. I also wanted to say, um, please remember to reach out to us on all of our socials if you ever wanted to learn more about how to get involved with the podcast or involved with Jack Dower Queens in general. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Jake. Hey, Liv. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm great. So as I kind of said before, um, you're kind of like one of the biggest mental health advocates I know um, from starting on jock.org. You were such like a big, like a big part of my jock.org experience in first year. And that's kind of helped with my experience throughout these four years on jock.org. Um, but I kind of wanted to kind of get your perspective on like your own experiences with dealing with mental health as a man and throughout high school and university and kind of, how that's kind of translated into the work that you do now post post secondary school i guess yeah so yeah well i can i can share a little bit about my story maybe i mean it's it's long but um everyone likes a story <laughs> okay story time um so my it's it's funny it's funny looking back because i think now that i've you know been through therapy and i understand what depression feels like what anxiety feels like I can point back to times in, you know, grade seven, grade eight, where I felt sad and I felt depressed, but I didn't have the the understanding to recognize what it was and neither did the people around me. But that, so I think it started when I was pretty young, but I wasn't really aware of it and didn't recognize it. The first time that I think I had my first, you know, major crises was after high school, just because it's a stressful time. I really enjoyed high school. 
I felt really connected to my friends and my community. And I was really worried that my whole life from then on would just be downhill, which it wasn't, you know, speaking back here. So that's a success. But at the time it felt like high school was a huge loss in my life. And so that kind of triggered a period where I was really sad and then also really anxious about university. And so that's when I first went into therapy. So that was an interesting experience. And I started on medication right away. Looking back, probably wasn't the best call because I hadn't learned to understand my emotions. And I thought that it was going to solve all my problems and make me happier, which it doesn't do. And I came back to medication, but, but, but at the time, you know, not sure if it was the best fit. So I started that was on it for two weeks and, you know, it kind of made me feel weird. And so I said, you know what, I'm feeling fine. I'm ready to go to university. I'm just going to go off it. Before I went to university, my mom, you know, there was a time where I was super sad sitting on the couch crying. And my mom just said, you know, I can't, I can't let you go to university like this. And I said, well, I'm going, I need to, I was living with my, one of my best friends from high school, we were roommates. And so it just, it just made sense anyway. So I went, I started and, you know, Frost Week was a blur, met a lot of fun people and probably felt fine. And I felt fine for probably about a month, month Mm -hmm. and a half. And then slowly, I think my depression started, you know, seeping back in. Yeah. First year was pretty challenging just because I was trying to, you know, make new friends and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And that, you know, added pressure moving away from home. I was really homesick. And so I started seeing a therapist in Kingston doing cognitive behavioral therapy, which was helpful, Mm -hmm. but, you know, still really struggled in first year and had days where I didn't want to get out of bed, but, you know, ended up the year on a decent note and went back home for the summer. Then during the summer, I think I kind of felt that I had conquered my mental health. I was my mental illness. I was thinking to myself that I was cured and I would never feel sad again. Yeah. And I think that kind of set me up for failure. So failure, because when I went back to Queens in second year, everyone says, Oh, you know, second year, best year of your life, you know, your friends, you know, whatever. I was like, cool. Yeah. Um, and I think since I wasn't prepared, my anxiety and depression hit pretty hard. And so a week and a half into school, I was deteriorating pretty rapidly and I sat with my therapist and, you know, he basically said to me, you can take the semester off. And I remember him saying that and just feeling like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders because I hadn't really thought that that was an option before. So in that moment, I said, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Called my mom. I gave the, I gave, I gave the therapist on the phone. I was like, can you explain, can you explain what's happening? And came home, started seeing a psychiatrist, started back on medication continue to do CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, started exercising more, mindfulness meditation, all of that. And it was pretty challenging me at home without my friends as a distraction. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say I got better. I mean, I, I did get better and I was feeling, I was feeling okay by the end of December and then was really anxious to return back to school in January. And I'd say the first couple of days back at school in January were pretty tough. but after that, you know, I felt, I felt good. And that doesn't mean, you know, from, from that point. So January of 2018 until now, I still have days or weeks where 
I feel depressed or I feel down and that doesn't go away. But I think the difference is now I, I know how to deal with those moments when I experience them. I have tools. I have, new pers- I, have a, I have a perspective on them. I know that my emotions are temporary and they won't last forever. So I'm able to manage the ups and downs a lot better. And I've been on and off medication. I was on it probably for about two years and then I'm, I'm off it now. I don't take it anymore. But now I'm feeling, you know, good. Life is good. So recovery is possible. I don't think mental illness is ever something that goes away. But as I said, it's something that you learn how to manage. And so when I feel depressed or when I feel sad, it doesn't scare me be- anymore. Because I think when you're when you're first not used to the feeling, every time it hits you, you feel like it's going to last forever and it feels yeah. really scary. Whereas now I'm comfortable enough with the feeling that I can say to myself, okay, I'm feeling really sad. This is okay. It's going to be temporary. It's not going to last forever. And here's what I'm going to do to take care of myself. And I know that it's going to pass. So that's kind of that. Yeah. That's kind of my spiel. It's kind of my story. Yeah. That is one thing with, um, as you kind of said before, like when you first started school, you thought that you were, I guess your first year, you thought that, um, Oh, like my depression, my anxiety is fine, blah, 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 blah. But like, it is true. Like you go through periods where it's better, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you conquer it. And I think that that is a big myth when it comes to mental health that like, it's like having the flu, like you have the flu and then you kind of get over it, then you're done with it. But like mental health and like healing with it is not something that you get over. It's something that you kind of learn how to manage and kind of learn what tools and skills um, will help adopt that, which skills you should adopt to help you get there. And I kind of wanted to go back to um, when you decided to take your semester off, because that is, kind of something that it is kind of a big deal for some people. You know what I mean? Some people feel like they can't do that because school comes first and their mental health, like is something that they put on the back burner. So did you find it? Like, did you have any like judgment towards yourself when you decided to take the semester off? Because like that is going away from like the typical university experience and stuff. Yeah. That's a great point. The first thing I'd say is I think, I I recognize that I that I had the privilege of being able to do that because I yeah. recognize that not everyone has the opportunity to stop paying rent for a semester and and you know leave their their house. So I I totally acknowledge that that's a privilege that that I had that not everyone has. Yeah. The second thing in terms of in terms of judgment, it it is atypical. It's not something that everyone does, but in the moment it felt like a really big deal. And it was a big deal because it was a really scary decision and it was a big deal. But now looking back on it, it, it really didn't, it didn't affect my relationships with my friends. It didn't affect my relationship with my family. It didn't re- affect my ability to, you know, pursue a job and, and find internships at all. If, you know, if anything, my mental health experience has actually helped me because, because it shows that I'm passionate about something. So I would, I would encourage people to, you know, I don't know, I not, not think that it's so, I mean, it is scary, but, but it's not the end of the world and it's definitely an option and something important to consider. The other thing is that every person that I spoke with supported my decision. So there weren't, you know, there was no people who said, 
what are you doing? That's, that's dumb or that's stupid. Again, partly, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged because of, of that experience that I had, but everyone was really, was really supportive. And I was amazed at when I shared my, my story, how other people resonated with it as well, which was, which was nice for me to hear. And also nice for me to cultivate a community at Queens of people who I could speak to when I was, when I was struggling. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Did you feel at all like any, um, I don't know, I guess like one thing that I sometimes think about is um, I myself like deal with um, generalized anxiety disorder. And sometimes I feel like I can't like communicate exactly how I feel. And I'm like kind of afraid of what other people may think mm. or something like that. So like in your experience, like as a student and I guess as a boy, because I'm a girl, so I don't have the same experience with you. I know that like I have me, my, me and my friends, I was going to say me and my girls, me and my friends have like a good, um, we're very vulnerable with each other. Like I have a good support system going on there, but like, I guess from like more of like a, a male perspective, like did that, um, impact you at all? Or did you kind of have like a similar, I guess, experience as to what I just explained? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think I'm, I think I'm pretty lucky just in terms of the friends that I do have Yeah, because I, I didn't feel that I, I didn't feel uncomfortable being vulnerable. That being said, I didn't tell anyone about my struggle in first year. The only people that knew were, were my, were my parents. Mm. So, so it may, it might've taken me longer than I would have hoped. I mean, and in, in, in ideally I should have told people in first year. So in first year, you know, was living with one of my best friends who was my roommate and there would be some days where I'd come home, you know, crying and then he would be there. And it, it was nice because then I would stop crying because I'd pretend that I was happy and fine when I wasn't, which was a nice distraction, but I never told him. And so he, when I told people that I was leaving, that was their first, that was their first experience knowing that I was struggling. So for him, it was a shock because he yeah. was thinking, how did I not know? How did I not pick up on this? And and so there was definitely a shock there. And at the beginning, it was hard to tell people. But then I think, I think vulnerability is a skill that we have to practice. And so I think as I told people, I got more comfortable with it. And now I, I don't, it, 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 it doesn't, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel vulnerable anymore. And, and, and I decided to be really public about it because yeah. So I think it may, might've taken longer, but once I started sharing it with people the the re the reactions that I got were unbelievable and supportive and yeah. So I was, I was really lucky. Yeah. Sometimes I find it crazy when I like tell people about my experience or like when I'm, um, or something that I'm just kind of going through, I get a lot of the people that I guess I'm sharing with be like, oh, like I have felt that to a certain degree or like, oh, like I've right. also felt like that. So you kind of like sometimes in a way, like connect with people on feeling these uncomfortable and kind of um, yeah. unwanted feelings. For sure. Which really helps. And it helps like, especially when you go to a school that isn't like where you live. Um, out in Kingston, like it's sometimes hard to be away from like your parents and stuff. But those are the people that you kind of like confide in. Yeah. So it's good that like, yeah, I guess like the, that's the one takeaway that I've even kind of learned myself is to just sometimes be vulnerable with like my little small circle. Cause even just having the small little conversations really kind of 
go a long way when it comes to on bad days and on good days, you know. But, but also, as you said, it also brings you closer to people because mm-hmm. you start sharing your experience and then they start sharing their experience and then suddenly you, you've developed a stronger connection. And, and there are a couple reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm actually grateful for my mental illness and my experience. Yeah. And one of them is feeling a lot closer to friends and family who surrounded me with support and love when I was in, when I was in those moments and, and those, yeah, like they came to my aid and, and that was, that was yeah. really special. Yeah. Okay. You actually made a really good point there. Like finding um, like gratitude and having or experiencing a mental illness um, I guess like, I guess the question that I'm kind of like curious about is like, what have you kind of learned? Like, what have you been able to, I guess in your fourth year, what were you able to be like, okay, this is kind of my experience with my mental health within these four years at university. What have I been able to like gain out of it? And what am I going to take away from that now that I'm going off into post, post-secondary life? Mm. I guess. <laughs> That's, that's a great question. I think the first thing I'd say is that it's it's hard to be grateful in the moment. So, mm-hmm. so you know, when I was in the depths of of my depression, I wasn't I was not grateful. I was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I was you know, why is this happening to me? This is so you know those kind of things. And so, I think the the gratitude kind of comes after you reflect on it and and you think about your reflect on on it in your perspective. So thinking back, you know, again, not in the moment, because I think it's hard to say to people, you know, be grateful in the moment because that's not really helpful. But thinking back on my experience, my, my struggle has, has given me a lot of things. The first thing would be, would be, you know, feelings of stronger connection to friends and family. The second one I think would be just an appreciation for the ups and downs of life. I think that when you experience lows that are so low, you also get to experience highs that are really high as well. That's been that's been a gift. Emotional intelligence for sure. I think that I'm I'm really aware of, of my emotions and I understand my emotions and you know why I'm feeling a certain way. So I think that's really served me not only in my personal life, but also mm-hmm. in in the working world, as we yeah. call it. And the last thing is mental health, you know. By accidentally on purpose, I've I've been working in the space for four years as an advocate, and so mental health advocacy and the work that I've ha- I've had the opportunity to do with Jack.org has turned into it's it's led me to job opportunities. It's led me to you know an opportunity I had to work with the Canadian government on creating a, a youth report. So having having this passion and having these extracurriculars that I've gotten to be involved in has served me so well in the post-secondary world and really set me up for, for success. And it's also given me a sense of purpose, which is, you know, I think really important. And and I think something people struggle with um, because I know what I want to do with my life and how I want to be spending my time and what I want to dedicate my life to, which is, which is a huge gift as well. Now that you're kind of like saying these things, I kind of wanted to go back to, um, your point previously when you said that when you were first going through depression and anxiety and stuff, you felt so in the thick of it. And I know that sometimes, well, actually most of the time when you are in the thick of it, you feel like there's no other side. You feel like you can't reach the other side. It's like unattainable and stuff. And sometimes I feel like 
Some people feel as if recovery isn't even an option. So when you were kind of going through like the thick of everything, how did you know that you, that recovery was the option that you wanted? And how did you like create the light when you felt like you couldn't see it? Mm. That makes sense. That's a great question. Um, I think that a lot of people talk about motivation and, Mm -hmm. and hope. A lot of people talk about motivation, the first thing. And I think the, the reality is, is that motivation is fleeting. And so there were some days where I, I didn't want to get out of bed. And so I think in those days, what I learned was discipline and resilience. So, and to me, that's doing things that you don't want to do because you know that they're going to help you in the long run. Mm-hmm. And so it, it wasn't a question of motivation or how did I feel in that day. I had a commitment that every single day I was going to exercise, I was going to meditate, I was going to do cognitive behavioral therapy, even when I didn't want to, especially when I didn't want to. So, so that was that was a commitment that I made to myself, knowing that that was going to be important to recovery. And it wasn't about doing it once; it was about doing it every single day for three, four months or more. The second thing I'd say is you, you find hope in, in these, these small, these small moments that you get to experience when you're in the depth of your, of your struggle and depression makes you feel hopeless. But I, I would have these small moments where I'd be going on a walk on a really sunny day, or, you know, I'd meditate before bed and I had five minutes of peace from my thoughts or there was this one time where I was supposed to do a talk at my old high school and I was feeling so hopeless and and my parents just hugged me and they said you know what it's going to be okay and so it's small things like that where they they give you the sense of hope for a couple of minutes and and that's your your motivation to keep going because yeah, like I, I was refusing to give up and, and yeah, so those are the two things I'd say, like finding hope in the little things and then discipline and, and resilience. Yeah, that's actually like, that's really like, it's cool to hear your perspective on that because even now for myself, I recently have been diagnosed with PTSD and yeah. that was like, I didn't know, actually it was as a mental health advocate, you, I kind of thought to myself, oh, I kind of know about like all the mental health illnesses. I kind of yeah. know like symptoms and stuff like that. But I didn't know that I, initially what I was experiencing was PTSD. I didn't right. know that lack of focus was a symptom of PTSD. Um, I didn't know that feeling disconnected from your body and inherently disconnected from those around you were like all symptoms of that. I just thought that it was just my anxiety or just me overthinking and stuff. Yeah. And even now, um, I started talking to my uh, a therapist and she was like, you need to start creating like a mental health routine for yourself. So you can't focus or you can't do these things, find a different outlet. So now I've been, I've always been against working out. I never loved that stuff, yeah. but now I've made a commitment to myself that from the beginning of November until the end of January, three full months of physical movement, at least for an hour, five times I was going to say five times a day, five times a week. <laughs> um, and now like we're 
I'm a month into it and I already see a massive difference. And now it's kind of starting to become something that I really love to do, weirdly yeah. enough. And I'm like, oh my God, me like six months ago would be like, I'm never going to be that person. And now I even am, but working but I was the same, Liv. Like, yeah. I was the same. I hated exercise and, and I, like, I was not whatever. And, and you, you do these things because, because they're going to help you. Yeah. And then once you start doing them, you feel the benefits and then, and then you don't need motivation anymore. You just know you're like, okay, I've experienced how good this makes me feel. So I'm never going to stop. Um, and you still have to do them on yeah. the days that are hard. Like that's when you need them the most. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's because, cool. No, even like on the days that are the hardest, like I'll get up and I'll be like, I don't want to do this. I feel so anxious today. Like yeah. that's the last thing I want to do. I go and I like not force myself, but I'll go and just do it. Like even I'll commit to like, okay, just get on the bike. I have yeah. bike. get on the bike for five minutes. And then those five minutes after five minutes, I'm like, wait, I kind of like this. I'll do another five minutes and then yeah. just keep going. And then I have a full like movement workout going on, which I really yeah. like. That's and awesome. then even, even if I continue to be anxious for the rest of the day, at least I know that for an hour of that day, yeah. I wasn't feeling anxious and that's better yeah. than nothing. And you're doing something about it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which feels good too. Yeah. So I guess now that you've kind of, have mentioned like I guess um now you can look at like being grateful about like the kind of the lows that you've gone through and stuff and how you've now been able to apply it to like extracurriculars and work and stuff like that how like what is your experience with that like um what have you been able to do like what are you doing now like what is what's the life of a mental health advocate post post post-secondary Life of a mental advocate. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's funny because I've, I've, I've reflected lately about how Jack.org has created so many opportunities for me from, from, and so in, in a lot of different ways. And my, my first opportunity that came about was working at RBC on the team that, that funds Jack.org. So I found out about the specific oh. team. And so I had an internship on that team, which is amazing an amazing experience and I had an opportunity to work on this this state of youth report this year through through my involvement with Dr.org which was amazing the the what I'm doing now I'm I'm a full-time employee I'm, you know the, I guess <laughs> it's the real world that I'm in and I am working at a mental health company so I am working at a wow. technology company we're about 50 people and we provide a software to therapists and mental health providers that helps them measure treatment progress to help clients feel hopeful. Because one of the challenges with therapy is you don't really know if you're improving. And so we've developed a a software to allow therapists and clients to track their progress. So I'm in sales, which is, which (laughs) is, is great. I've learned a lot. And the, you know, the opportunity with Greenspace also arose, funny enough, because of my connection with Jack.org, because there was someone who I knew at Jack.org who now works at Greenspace. So so oh, wow. that's another thing that's come from my mental health advocacy journey. <laughs> and the last thing I'm doing, which is, which is a side project, a passion project, is the social reset. So I started an organization in January and the whole thinking was that social media is a mental health risk. And we know that social media is a mental health risk. And there's a lot of research that shows that it's a mental health risk. And so 
we are, you know, a couple of, of current and recent university students who are frustrated with, with social media and its impact. And so we're really focused on, on empowering people specifically right now we're, we're focused on grade five to eight students. So empowering students to spend less time on social media and more time offline. So my involvement with mental health has, has continued and, and in so many different ways. And I've learned so much from Jack.org, from the conference that I organized that helped me, you know, find jobs and opportunities. And it's also helping me now with, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my life right now. Do you feel like, um, sometimes I'll even try to like talk to my parents or my parents' friends or like family friends or whatever like that about mental health. And obviously like there's a difference in generations with like an older generation versus like our generation with mental health and stuff. Do you feel like there's, um, do you feel like there is kind of like a difference when you're now like working at an actual company with like, obviously I'm assuming that there's people that are older than us that work at this company and stuff like do you feel like the conversations are kind of differently when it comes to mental health or like if there's like a discrepancy in mental health literacy I mean definitely between generations I think yeah I think there is that being said I think there's been a lot of progress since I started at Queens Mm -hmm. and since I took the semester off I think people are, are way more open about it now even than they were four or five years ago, which is really fantastic to see. One thing I think that that I've noticed is when I've done talks and, and when I've spoken about my experience, a lot of people have said to me, you know, you're so brave. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting comment because to me it implies that that this isn't something that – it implies that this isn't something that people – you know, are comfortable talking about or implies that there's kind of some taboo around mental health. And so I think the comments, comments like that, which, which are fine. I mean, they don't, they don't bug me in any way. Mm -hmm. I think comments like that still show me that there is still stigma associated with mental health, but I do think that progress is being made and mental health education and literacy definitely still needs to continue pushing pushing that boundary for for different generations for different things and we're going to be a lot more comfortable maybe being open and talking about it than than other generations and that's totally okay um yeah so yeah no that's interesting that you say about the the you're so brave for this because I, I even have people kind of now come to me being like, oh, like you, the work that you do within mental health is like amazing, like all this stuff, like great work. Um, I can't believe you find the courage to like talk about these things and stuff. But like, it's something that like we all go through like on a daily basis. I wake up and I can feel anxious or I can just feel something throughout the day. Like it's kind of just talking about your emotions. So right. it's funny when people say those things because it's like, well, I'm not being vulnerable. I'm just telling you how my day is. Yeah. Like I felt anxious. So I'm just going to say, Hey guys, like I'm anxious. Here are some resources if you're also yeah. feeling anxious. Well, and, and when, when people say that it's, it's, I think to myself, why is this courageous, right? Mental health mm-hmm. is the same as your physical health. I, I don't, I don't feel this is a courageous act. I don't feel uncomfortable talking about it. I don't feel ashamed. And when people talk to me, when people ask me to share my story, I'm, you know, I, I'm an open book, right? I, I don't, it, it's not, it's not scary to me. So, but, but I think, again, I think progress is being made and mm. it's been really great to see, especially on Queens campus and, and all the work that Jack.org is doing is, is fantastic. Oh, thanks. And it's all 
thanks to you as well. You've prepped me for success as a co-chair. I also wanted to go back to um, the social reset because this summer in August, I actually did like the August um, challenge, which I found really interesting. So I'm someone that I'm an avid social media user. I like it because it like helps me um, connect with other people. I'm also... I would call myself a creative person. So I like to see what other creative people are doing. I love photography. So I'm mainly talking about Instagram because that's like the main yeah. one that I use. Um, and I guess now TikTok. Yeah. But sometimes I have to refrain from TikTok because that will actually consume my whole day. I know. Um, but um, what I found kind of like interesting when doing, okay, so I didn't actually like go a full month without yeah. going on social media because I um, didn't really want to. Because I wanted to, what basically what I wanted to get out of it was to see like if just using it less than I usually would yeah. would make a difference, and if that's something that I could adopt into my everyday life. Right. So I realized that I would go on social media for like a maximum of like two hours. That's like what my phone told me. Yeah. Um. So then I put like you know you can put limits on your apps and stuff like that. So I put a limit on every single app, um, for thirty minutes a day. Mm. That's the only. That's I could only go on social medias for 30 minutes a day. Um, I found a big difference. I felt myself being more present. I felt Mm. myself um, being more um, kind of aware about like how I'm spending my time. Right. Because when I get like, oh, like the 30 minutes is up. I'm like, wait, what? I did not even like, I didn't even, that felt like two seconds. Like what the heck? Yeah. So what like, um, I don't want to say feedback, but like what have, other people kind of like experienced with the social reset and like, what have you kind of experienced um, with hosting these challenges for people and stuff? Yeah. So, so we, we were amazed at the, the amount of interest we got in, in people participating in the challenge, mm-hmm. first of all, which, which to us, they validated that this is a problem that people are thinking about and, and, and are looking for, you know, a solution for so that was one thing that we reflected on and, and we saw amazing, you know, experiences and, and, and I did it myself and our team did it ourselves. And so it was really great to hear people's comments about how their stress levels changed, how their mood changed, how their usage changed moving forward. And, and people, you know, who decided after the challenge to either delete their usage permanently or to, you know, keep their usage lower than it was before. So I think that was, that was really great to see. And and now we're, we're trying to kind of take those learnings and focus on grade five to eight students. So we're in the middle of doing some, some research with students and parents and teachers, just because I think that's an age where people are getting their phones for the first time and, and they're very vulnerable to social media and phone usage. So we're hoping to kind of take what we've learned and, turn it into potentially a, a, a program that, that would be offered to schools or parents that would encompass, you know, a challenge and education and all these different elements that would make it fun. But I mean, I, I deleted Instagram for the month and I didn't, I didn't miss it at all. And so oh. I, I decided, which, you know, I'm, I'm, we're obviously different. And everyone has their own experience, right? So it's not, yeah. it's, it's not, what's right for everyone, but hmm. I didn't miss it and, and decided not to use it anymore moving forward just because it didn't make me feel good. And um, having that space from it allowed me to, to recognize that going on, it makes me feel like I'm missing out on things. 
makes me feel bad about what I'm doing. Um, and it wasn't really bringing me any benefits, as mm-hmm. you said. So I wasn't using it for connection. I wasn't using it for creativity. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's also like when you're when it comes to social media. Well, I remember I you told me a statistic and I can't, I don't want to like exactly quote it, but like if you use social media, then you are at a 98% risk of developing a mental health Related. I don't remember what the number was exactly, but but there are studies that prove yeah. the correlation between yeah. social media usage and your mental health risk, which which is alarming to me. I mean, these studies have been out for for years, and everything. Yeah, that and happened, I didn't even know about them. Right, and everything that happened with the Facebook files. I don't know if you've heard about that. This, no, what's that? Well, it's a podcast. You should listen to it. It's oh, really? okay. It's there's a product <laughs> manager at Facebook who um, quit. And basically released all these confidential internal documents. And oh. each episode is about a different thing that Facebook has done. But one of the episodes is about Facebook's own research that they did on the impact of Instagram on teen girls' mental health. And they found that, I think the stat was one in three teenage girls could trace feelings of self-confidence issues, like trace, trace negative feelings with their self-confidence back to Instagram specifically. And this is Facebook's own research. So it's, it's their own research that she decided to leak. And so this, this is verifying everything that, that has kind of been done and that we're talking about. And the reality is, is that social media is a mental health risk and yeah. using these platforms is, is harmful for your mental health. And you're going up against, you know, companies that are spending billions of dollars a year trying to suck your attention. So if you are addicted to them, it's not your fault. It's not a character flaw. It's because this is what they want. So anyway. No, that's – well, number one, I'm going to go listen to that podcast after this. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but two, like I guess – and this isn't – this is even like a conversation that I've like had with other people and sometimes I have it like um, at school like in certain courses and stuff is like – what um social media um companies like what their um kind of role is when it comes to like mitigating these things and it's crazy to think that like a lot of these social media companies and platforms and stuff like know the risks of abusing the platform but they're actually using that as a way to gain profit or to get more users and stuff so that's crazy and so i guess mm-hmm. going back to like the point that i wanted to make before is i think one thing with um social media when it comes to the correlation with mental health is like knowing what you're using it for. So like yeah. as you said, you didn't like Instagram because like you weren't using it for like connecting with people or like creative purposes. Like that's sometimes I mainly I use that. Like I have a lot of, um, I have a different Instagram account where I just follow random things and it's just so, cool. just so that like, if I just want to be creative, yeah, I have another social media. Uh, I mean, I have another Instagram um, account for that. And then if I want to connect with people, then I have like my private one and stuff. But, like, I think just like, being aware yeah. of why you're using something yeah. because it's true. Like there's so many times as well, like I'm guilty of it. I'll be scrolling through social media and I'll just see a bunch of like Instagram models. And I'm like, Oh, I don't look like that. Why don't I look like that? And then I guess now I'm at a point where I can like stop myself right then and there and be like, this is Instagram. Yeah. And i if this is what I'm going to be using Instagram for to compare myself, might as well not even be using it. Yeah. It's hard to kind of get there. It's hard. And it's not about deleting. It's just about, as you said, asking yourself, why are you using the platforms and how do they make you feel? And if you recognize that they're not making you feel good, then 
try and limit it or, or try and take a break. And yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I think it's really cool. Like everything that you've done, like when it comes to like, I guess now working at green space and like starting the social reset with like other people and like really being able to take like dark kind of phases, not phases, but dark, um, parts of your life when it comes to, um, your mental health and kind of making light of it and kind of like making that as a drive and a passion into like what you're doing now and into mental health advocacy and stuff. So thanks so much for number one, inspiring me to continue on Jack.org or to even start Jack.org in the first place. Well, not start, but get on to Jack.org in the first place. And two, um, thank you for, I don't want to say thank you for being brave because <laughs> <laughs> not, not it but thank you for like sharing your story about these things because whether like you're an open book I'm an open book whatever like it's still like sometimes it can get taxing to have to talk about mental health all the time and having to like um be like a point of like contact for people if they like kind of need someone to talk about it with and stuff and my third thank you is thanks for like even now taking everything that you've learned in high school and experience in high school and what you've learned and experienced in university and kind of applying it to like your work and your work ethic and everything now. I think that's like incredible and really cool and in a non-sappy way, very inspiring for everyone. Well, thank you. I mean, that's very, very nice things that you said. So I appreciate all of those things and always happy to, to chat and, and happy to chat with anyone who wants to talk with me about anything. So thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here and we will surely have you on another episode soon. <laughs> Sounds good.